Aren't you glad to be in God's house today? I hope the folks online are more enthusiastic than that response. Aren't you glad to be in God's house today? Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So many amazing, wonderful things are happening in the life of our church family. And I'm so grateful and thankful for you. I'm grateful and thankful for those who have been serving uh, in disaster relief and are back home this week. And so thank you for those who have served all weekend, uh, all, all fall. We've had members involved in serving, and we're grateful and thankful for you. This weekend was Veterans Day, and we were remembering veterans as, in a, as a country. And I am so grateful for those who have served as veterans in our country and have uh, been faithful and leaving their family and fighting for protective rights of others. And aren't you grateful and thankful for those who have served? Today, I also want to just rejoice in something else today. Uh, This week on Thursday night, our church gathered together to contemplate a question whether or not something we've been thinking about for months, praying about, had multiple discussions about. And on Thursday night, in a very historic vote, we voted to proceed in the establishment of a classical Christian school called Bethel Academy. And we are looking forward to that beginning in the coming months. This is something to rejoice in, and I'm so grateful and thankful. Also today... I'm rejoicing and grateful for your faithfulness, for your love for the Lord, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I, Jay mentioned this earlier, but I just want to remind you, let's finish strong in our giving as a church, giving to the mission of our church, to what God has called us to do. And I, I know that these are troubling for some of us and difficult days, but in the midst of the difficulty, when we prove ourselves faithful, God will prove himself faithful to take care of us. Let's make sure that we are faithful in worshiping God in our tithes and our offerings. Amen. And God will wonderfully bless you as you're faithful to him in that area of your life. Amen. Now tonight, today, I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to Romans chapter number 8, and we're going to begin today uh, where we left off last week. We uh, are going to look at this text of Scripture that is found in chapter number 8, beginning with verse number 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We titled this Five Undeniable Affirmations. And the affirmations are simply this. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He has justified us. And he has glorified us. 
These are amazing thoughts. Romans chapter 8 has to do with our assurance. And Paul is writing to the church at Rome, talking about this great salvation that we have and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how we are assured of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Has anybody ever struggled with assurance of salvation in your life? We all have, I think, in some time or another. And so we are looking this week, we remember last week, about how God is at work, and he works all things together for our good. He's working for good because he is good, and he works good for us. His work is to make us look like, live like, love like Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the promise is that he has called us. And salvation is not based on us. It's not based on our work. It's based on him and his marvelous grace. This is God's great love for us. And this is what we looked at last week. As a boy... I grew up in a Christian home. My dad and my mom, from the earliest days of my life, had me in church. My dad was a pastor, preacher, still is, preaching this morning in his late 80s, still proclaiming the word of God. It's amazing. As a little boy, all of my life, in church. But I struggled, even though I'd made a profession of faith as a boy, and even though I was baptized, and even though I went to church, and even though I went to Sunday school, I struggled with my salvation. I struggled to understand if it were really true for me. Was I just a fake or a pretender, or was it really real? Or would, had it, I struggled about my own sin. Anybody ever had a struggle with your own sin problems? Man, our own sin problems, my feelingness of unworthiness. Anybody ever feel absolutely unworthy and think that God wouldn't accept you? Feelings of insecurity, feelings of anger as a boy, feelings of competitiveness with friends, jealousy, rebellion against authority. Christy still says I still have that problem. And a, a teen, in this teenage years, this rebellion and and I, desiring to, the acceptance of my peers, wanting a place to belong, wrestling with my own identity, my sexuality, the desires of my flesh. And, and with all of that guilt and shame and remorse and, and failure and repentance and, and then still failing again. And I began to wonder, how in the world could I ever be saved? I mean, how could God accept me? If others knew all of the sin that was in me, then they would never accept me. And, and my own rebellion seemed to be hidden to others, but my own judgment, I knew it wasn't hidden before God. And I also was judgmental of other people. Not only was I judgmental of myself, but I judged others. 
And that's what happens when you think you're working your salvation. How can they be saved? How can they act like that and be saved? And I remember in the dark watches of the night as a boy in bed, wrestling in the dark under the covers. Lord, if I'm not saved, save me. These were hauntings. These hauntings continued on through college, even early in seminary. I remember these struggling. I'm not alone in this, am I? Many people through the years that I've met with struggle with feeling uncertain if they're good enough to get into heaven. How do I know that I'm saved? Have I lost my salvation? Recently, I was talking to a, a woman, and I asked her simply, I said, do you know the Lord? She goes, well, no, I, I mean, I did, but I mean, I think I, she goes, I think I used to be saved, but I, I, I know I'm not. And as I was talking to her, I said, why did you say that? She said, well, I've done so many things wrong, and my sins are so great, and I'm so far away. And I said, well, can you talk to me about that? What, what, why do you feel this way? What, what have you done? What is it that you think? And she goes, well, look, I messed up as a teenager. I ran with the wrong crowd. I ended up getting pregnant in high school. She said, I've had multiple children with multiple men, and I don't go to church anymore because I don't think I'm worthy to go. And, and, and I, the man I'm with and my boyfriend now, we're not married, and I've lied to my parents, and I've been disobedient, and I know I haven't lived like I should, and I know I haven't lived like God wants me to. Do you think she's alone in feelings like that? And I said, so do you think that these failures keep you from being a Christian? I said, do you think your sin is greater than his love? Do you think your sin is more powerful than Christ's death and resurrection? Do you think your rebellion can exhaust his patience and love for you? Are you more powerful than his grace is? You see, God has loved you with an eternal love. He loves you and he pursues you and he will never let you go. Have you come to really trust him? Today, there's good news for you. Today, you can be refreshed and renewed in the joy of your salvation. Today, you can return. You can trust in him and find real life. Today's message speaks about assurance and our relationship to God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, Paul reminds us in this text, we looked at these, some of this last week, but just in recap, notice he says, he foreknew you. 
And so in verse number 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. Did you know God knew you before time even began? God knew you before the foundation of the world. Do you know that? God knew you before you were even created in the womb. God knew you before your mother ever held you or even knew you or even before you were conceived in her womb. He had intimate knowledge of you and your life. He loved you before time began and he will love you when this life is over. That's God's foreknowledge of you. It's intimate, personal knowledge of you. He loves you. Secondly, he predestined you. That means he has a destination and a plan for your life. He has this destination for you. He wants to carry it out and complete it in your life. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number one, verse number four, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He's, he wants you to be adopted as sons. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. And he wants to make of you a community of family of believers. God has a destination for you. He knows where he's taking you. He's working in you. You ever been lost when you're driving? Not know where you're at for sure. Christy sometimes asks me, do you know where you're going? Sometimes I bristle. Often I bristle. One day I smartly said back, well, I don't know where we're going, but we're making good time. <laughs> well, God knows where you're going. And he is working in you to make you look like, live like, love like Jesus. And that's his plan for you. He has called us. We talked about this last week. The gospel message is the means with which he calls because as the gospel is proclaimed, God is calling. And the Holy Spirit is the way that he works and he draws us unto himself. He causes our eyes to open, our hearts to open, and we receive the Lord and we are called into salvation. And his call never fails. He's called you. It's never the wrong number. He's called you. Now today we're going to focus on he has justified us. Now in verse number 30 it says he has justified us. That means he's made us right with him. Now how's God make us right with him? Because we are unjust and he is just. We are unholy and yet he is holy. We are vile and he is spotless. How can a just Holy God, this is the question, make unjust, unholy people right. How can he do that? How can he make us just? How can he declare us right and maintain his own righteousness as a righteous judge of all the earth? Well, let's look at how he does that. 
First of all, he justifies us through the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, God's Son. You are justified not by your works, but by the work of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen. Romans chapter number 3. Do you have your Bible? Look with me. Romans chapter number 3. Let's begin with verse number 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of y'all believe that verse right there? Now, listen. They are justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed and God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, here it is, so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. My friends, this is how God has done it. We are all sinners by nature and choice. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all under condemnation. We're all without hope. We all do not have any ability to save ourselves. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul writes. You see, all have sinned, there's none righteous, and the wages of sin is death. We deserve the full sentence of death because of our sin. So, tell your neighbor, we're all sinners. Okay. Without Jesus, we have no hope. Tell them. Without Jesus, we have no hope. But here's, what, here's the good news. Jesus was the perfect God-man. This is the good news. In Jesus, there was no sin ever. Jesus lived a perfect life. And Jesus fulfilled the law of God. And here's the law of God. To love God supremely and love other people. And Jesus did that. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. There was never any sin in him, no shadow of sin in him. Christ was the perfect man. And he loved with a pure love, not only God, but all of us. God demonstrated his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love is amazing. It's mind-boggling. He never failed in his love for God. And he died, Jesus did, willingly in our place on a criminal's cross. His death was not for any sin he ever committed. His death was for our sins. This is what we call, as theologians, we call substitutionary atonement. Christ died in my place and in your place. He was redeeming us by his death, paying the price for all of our sins. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered for our sins 
once for all, the righteous, the just one, for the unjust ones, the unrighteous ones, that he might bring us to God, might bring you to God. This is the greatest news in all the world, is Christ died for your sins and mine. He was the just one. He died for unjust ones. That's all of us. He bore your sins on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself, by himself, bore the full weight. He bore our sins, yours and mine. Where? In his own body, on that tree. So that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. Christ's death is for you. Christ's death was for you. Tell your neighbor, Christ's death was for you. Come on, tell them. It's for you. Isaiah 53 says, We all like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was punished for the iniquity of us all. So he, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. He was crushed because of our iniquities, and the punishment of our peace was upon him, and we are healed only by his wounds. You see, Jesus Christ satisfied a holy God. Isn't that amazing? So it says God presented him as a propitiation, atoning sacrifice. And the, and, and the, the text we just looked at in Romans 3, as a mercy seat by his blood. Now stay with me. In the Old Testament, when the people, of course, the people would sin. And when they sinned, the children of Israel would come to the tabernacle to worship or the temple. And they would bring their sacrificial offerings and their sin offerings and their guilt offerings. And it was to remind them of the high price of sin. But on one day, a special day, a holy day that we call the Day of Atonement, a sacrificial an animal was slaughtered for our sin. His blood, as they would cut the neck of that innocent victim, it had to be an animal without any spot, any blemish at all. They would capture the blood in a basin, and with a branch of hyssop, they would sprinkle it, and they would sprinkle it on the altar. They would sprinkle it, sprinkle it and it would be that day that the high priest would go into the, what was called the holy, most holy place, the holy of holies. And inside that holy of holies was the box that they had made at God's instruction called the, the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that Ark was the law of God. And covering that ark was a hammered out plated gold, gold lid. And 
two cherubim facing each other. And there the glory of God would rest. And there was the most intimate, holy place that God had designed and given instruction in. And there the blood was presented at that most holy of holies, representing the very throne room of God. And on that day of atonement, it was an innocent victim for us who have all sinned. There had been a transfer of sin on that animal before it died. And so it was an offering to holy God that an innocent died for the guilty. This is exactly what a picture of what God would do for us in Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is the blood of bulls and goats could never, ever wash away our sin. There was no animal could die for a human. This is, so it had to be a human that would die for sinful humans. But there's no perfect human since Adam. But God brought a man into the world without sin, his own son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And Jesus lived the perfect life. And he was the innocent human. And he died for guilty humans. That's us. And he was nailed to a cross and he bore the full penalty of our sin. And a holy God looked at a holy sacrifice and he said, it is finished, satisfied, paid in full. That's how he justified us. Not your works, not your good deeds. You have nothing to bring. But by his great love, I had a fit because I'm excited about that. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made the one who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made us right. How did he do it? Did he short circuit the process? No. He is just in his declaring us just. Because he's provided for the full payment of our sin. But he's also just in declaring us just. Because he has imputed the very righteousness of Christ into our account. We owed a sin debt that we could not pay. And Christ paid for it on the cross. But not only did God do that. He took all of that righteousness of Christ. And he put it into our account. And when God looks at us, he sees our sin is covered. And he sees the righteousnesses of, of, of his son. And God declares, right with me. Can somebody say hallelujah? hallelujah. This is greatest news and I know in all the world. Now it's not only by the work of Christ, it's by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith and not from yourselves. It's a gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. You do not contribute to your salvation. You do not earn your salvation. You do not initiate your salvation. You do not keep your salvation. 
Grace means unmerited favor. It's God's love and acceptance and provision at God's expense for you. You see, here's your condition. You were broken and bankrupt and you had nothing to bring to the table. Nothing good. All of your righteousness, the prophet says, is as, as filthy what? Rags. And so you have nothing. Like Tope Lady wrote in his famous hymn, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. You see, we're so used to earning favor in our relationships, aren't we? Yeah, we are. This is the way we act. So if you behave right, then I will love you. And if you don't behave the way I want, I'll withhold my love from you. I'll withhold my affection from you. I'll withhold my favor for you. And so we learn and we teach our children to, we deserve or don't deserve love. Let me say something. You don't deserve God's grace. It's a gift. It's all of grace. See, the wrong question is this. Did I do enough? No. Wrong question. The question is, did he do enough? For my salvation. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. It's not only by grace, but it's through faith. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, we have been justified, how? By faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted in God's word. Abraham believed him and acted in faith. In Romans chapter 4, verse number 22, therefore it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him, now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us it will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We trust in the provision of God, not ourselves. My friends, you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. Amen. Folks, I can't save myself. I can't earn my salvation. I have no ability to do that. This week, I will get on an airplane and fly to a faraway destination, Lord willing. And so when I get on that airplane, I got to trust that pilot. Amen. Not only am I trusting that pilot, I'm trusting the people that built that plane, services that plane. Now, I may be tempted 
if I get frightened to stand up and flap my arms like wings, maybe it needs help. But I can't help that plane to fly. The only way it flies is because, because I'm trusting those who are in charge to get me there. But my, I tell you, my friends, your salvation is not based on your works at all. It's based on the sure work of Jesus Christ alone. And only he can save you. Only he can save you. The just shall live by faith. So he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Fifthly, and this I want to dwell on here for just a moment. Verse, if there is one hallelujah verse that's found here, and every one of these words is how they are hallelujah words. This last affirmation in verse number 30, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. Now get this, watch it. And those he justified, watch, watch, here it is. He also what? Glorified. Great. Now, the verb tense seems strange to us, doesn't it? He glorified. Past tense. Past and completed. Accomplished tense. We anticipate, we would think that he would say, and he will glorify us in the future. But no, what does it say? He has what? What did it say? He has glorified us. It's something accomplished. Now, how can that be? It's not happened yet. Do you think God has the same time restraints that you do? No, not at all. You can't hardly get your head around that. He says it's accomplished. You are glorified. Whoa! How can it be? Because what he started to do, what he purposed to do, he will bring to completion. And it's an accomplished fact. Now, let me tell you something about Pastor Tim. Sometimes I start a project that I don't finish. Anybody have that problem in your life? I have a project. I start it. I have an idea. I think about getting the resources together. I think about finishing this project. And I got a plan. But you know what might happen? I might get delayed in that plan. Not only do I get delayed, I might have left, I might sometimes leave a few things undone. Sometimes I get busy. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes it's too difficult. Sometimes I can't figure out how to, how to do it. Sometimes I don't have the right tool. And sometimes I forget the project altogether and walk away. Have you ever done that in your life? Can I tell you something about God? God never has that problem. And what God intends to do, he does. And he does it perfectly. And he does it to the end. And God has glorified us. Not the God what he wills, but it only, but what he will finish and accomplish. Because what he wills, he does, and he does it to completion. He says, you are glorified. Now, let me tell you, from our perspective, it's not accomplished, but from his, it is. And that ought to give us the greatest confidence and hope in this room today. 
Now listen, in 1 John chapter 3, anybody looking forward to coming again of Jesus Christ? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, listen to this great scripture. Dear friends, now listen, we are God's children now. Did you know you're God's child right now? And what we will be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. Mm. Won't that be glorious? Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, now we look through a mirror dimly, but then we shall see him what? Face to what? Face. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49, listen to what Paul says. He says, and just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we will bear the image of the man of heaven. Wow. Did you know you're going to look like Jesus? Did you know you're going to look like Jesus? It's quiet. Did you know you're going to look like Jesus? Hey, did you know you're going to look like Jesus? Hey, listen, did you know something? You're going to look like Jesus. Y'all aren't excited yet. I'm going to keep repeating until you get excited about it. You look like Christ. You will look like him. It's an amazing thought. And some of you need the transformation. All of us need the transformation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, We all with unveiled face are looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory unto glory. Paul says there are moments and times when this walk and journey of faith, in this journey of worship, in this journey of obedience, in this journey of intimate walk with God, that when we are beholding the Lord and we got our eyes fixed on him, there are moments like Moses when we share in the glory of God and the radiance of his glory is changing us. But it won't compare to the ultimate day one day when we will see him as he is face to face. Paul writes in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. Folks, I want you to get excited about this. We're going to get a brand new body. But not only a new body, a new heart, and a new attitude, new emotions, a different way to relate to one another. It's a settled fact. What God has begun, he's finishing. And in these five affirmations, he's saying from beginning to end, God's going to carry it out. 
from eternity past to eternity future. God's doing this work of salvation in you. And you will be glorified. Not that you might be glorified or you hope to be glorified. But you are glorified. In heaven, it's going to be amazing. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 22... Revelation 22, in verse number 4 and 5, it says, And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And people will not need a light of a lamp or light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Amen. We're going to get a new body. We're going to live in a new world. And there's going to be a new me. And it's going to be glorious. Now, just imagine with me. You're looking into a mirror in heaven. And when you look into the mirror... You see yourself. What do you see? Well, you recognize it's you, but you look different. No sagging of age. No stress from life. No worries in your heart and your mind. No sorrows from loss or grief. No sin to feel guilty or ashamed of. And when you look in your mirror, you see yourself in that mirror. You know that all the securities, insecurities are gone. They're no longer there. And no envy or jealousy, that's all gone. And no hurt feelings. Would that be glorious to look in the mirror and you, there's not a hurt feeling inside of you. And there's no sense of betrayal. And there's no fear, no anxiety at all. And there's no desire to try to control everything because you, you can trust God and you're in his glory and you're changed. There's no guilt, no shame. Those things have all passed away. No death, no crying. There's no secrets in your heart. There's no effects of sin. And when you look in that glorious mirror, you see beauty, and you see love, and you see that you're known, and God knows you, and you know him, and you're fully accepted, and you're fully loved, and you're fully complete for the first time, and you feel the liberty to love people, and to give, and to help, and to serve, and to work, and life has meaning, and there's no curse. There's no law, there's no curse, there's no sin. And when you approach Jesus and you see him, you love him, and you're more like him than you could have ever imagined because you see him face to face. My friends, you are glorified. It's a settled fact.
That's what awaits us in heaven. Amen. Doesn't that make you happy today? All of these great promises are true. Only if you have your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray that today, at the nudging and urging and drawing and wooing of your Spirit, they might today turn from sin. and embrace Jesus Christ by faith and cast all of their life upon him and say, God in heaven, save me. I yield my life to you. I put my faith in you. Thank you for loving me. I believe that you died for me and I believe that you rose again. Save me, Lord. Others here today maybe have been living in discouragement and fear. I pray that today they would cast themselves on Christ, trust Him, and know that what you've started, you will complete. Have your way in our lives and hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.